Sir, sir. All right, yeah, that's right. Well, good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us our spiritual growth is not just for our own benefit. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread God's love to one more person. Before I get into the sermon today, I want to be sure to uh, say to you that we do not have to pack up the chairs today. We will have to do it next week, but not this week. So we take what we can get. So you can leave the chairs where they are this week. That would be good. You, instinctively, you will start to put them up. You'll have to fight your instinct and leave them right where they are. If you do accidentally put your chair up, you can be back here on next Sunday at 7 a.m., and you can put it right back out. That would be nice. So today's sermon is about God's mission and the way that the Holy Spirit is powering God's mission. So before I get too far into the service, I, uh, sermon, I have to like put on a hat. Uh, hat I used to wear, an old hat for me. I don't know if you know this before I led the team that started Lake Forest Davidson. I was a missions pastor. So I was part of many a uh, mission trip, and when I would go on a trip, I would always wear this hat. It's unclear as to why, but I would always wear this hat. And I would give uh, each mission team a, a little Gumby figure, uh, America's favorite claymation, Gumby, because above, among all else, Gumby is flexible. Gumby can bend. And the whole point to this whole thing was that if you're going to be on God's mission, you have to be flexible because you're going to show up to do something and you will discover that, that what you actually do is not what you showed up thinking that you were going to do. And then there will be people on your mission team and they will get on your nerves and you can spiritualize that for about the first two days. And then somewhere around the third day, you're going to have to do something about it. You're going to have to talk to God about it. You're going to have to be flexible. So... Uh, I say all this to say we too are on God's mission. As a church family, we too are on God's mission, and we are in the midst of learning that we have to be flexible because the last email I got on the way out the door this week was the, from uh, someone saying, hey, we're going to move the portables or the, the trailers, what are actually called the learning cottages. And oh, that's good. They're going to move them. Wonderful. Where are we going to move these? Oh, uh, in the parking lot. The parking lot, like someone else's parking lot, like not the parking lot where we park on Sundays, right? No, right in the middle of the parking lot where you park on Sundays. Thanks for the info. This has been, uh, 2018 has been a year of flexibility for us because, don't know if you know this, Davidson Elementary is going to become a K-8 school, and so the learning cottages are out. They're going to put a 6th to 8th grade building over there to do that. They're going to have to uh, uh, change the water main that runs under South Street. And so there's going to be a lot of exciting things coming out. So the kids who are in those learning cottages are now in the school. So the classrooms we were storing things in, we can't store in those classrooms anymore. We have two growing organizations sharing a shrinking space. So we've had to be flexible. We've had to change how we store things multiple times this year. We've had to change where the kids' classes are multiple times this year. And now we're going to change how we park in the summer because the learning cottages are right over there. We will figure all this out. 
The point of all this is you and I will have to be flexible. Be flexible. We're on God's mission. We will have to be flexible. And with that, I will not wear this hat anymore unless you ask me to and are very good listeners during the sermon. Then maybe I'll, maybe I'll wear the hat again. Uh, just as a few technical notes, though, if you can help us by walking or by biking, if you can park in the baseball lot on the other side of the baseball field, if you can park uh, on the street or down in the greenway lot near the covered bridge, and if you park on the street, this is just FYI, I don't know how to parallel park. So pull up to the spot right behind the car in front of you. Don't leave the, like, the one little spot in between, like, oh, I hope nobody dents my $5,000 car I drive or whatever. Like, just pull, pull up right to the spot behind. That'd be fine. If for whatever reason you're not able uh, to walk that far, I understand that. You can always get dropped off at the door, and then you send somebody else to park way out there. We just want it so that when folks show up for the first or second time, that they don't think, uh-oh, there's no room here for me. That, that's the point of all that. All right. Here's the actual sermon. One of the peculiarities of the Christian faith is that Christians believe that God is a trinity. God is a tri-unity, that God is both three and one. God is three in persons, but one in essence. So how God can be both three and one is a great mystery. It's one of those moments where we remember that God is not fully understandable. In fact, this is the kind of God I want to worship, a God who is knowable but not fully understandable. If, if I could get my head all the way around God, that's not much of a God worth worshiping. So the wondrous God that Christians worship exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, God the Holy Spirit is, generally speaking, the person of the Trinity that people know the least about. That's true of Christians. It's also true of people investigating the Christian faith. God the Holy Spirit is a giant question mark. So we have been doing, this is our sixth week in a series of trying to flesh out a little bit of what does God the Holy Spirit do. Who is God the Holy Spirit? What does God the Holy Spirit do? If you've missed any of these sermons, you can go listen to them online on the church website. There's a tab that says media and then one that says sermons under that. You could listen away. Today, what I want to do is wrap up the series with a big picture overview of what the Spirit does. So Amy read for us earlier from Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus' time on earth is coming to a close. Jesus is about to return to the unseen world, so his disciples start to pepper him with questions, specifically questions about how the world is going to end. Acts 1.7 says that he, Jesus, said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, it's not uncommon that people will hope that their church will do a series of sermons about when the world is going to come to an end. Here's the series. Only the Father knows. You don't know. I don't know. Anyone who is confident is mistaken. End of series. There, there that's it. I just, I thank you. I, I, I'm knocking out two series today. There is only one person on the end of the world planning committee, and it is God the Father. So Jesus does not want his followers to get so obsessed with th that sort of big question of when will the world end. Jesus is more concerned that his followers will focus on being part of his mission in this world. And that's what he spells out in the very next verse. Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power. Jesus is still teaching, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That verse, Acts 1-8, contains the mission of God in this world. And the mission is that all people on earth would know God and experience God's love, which is most clearly seen in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says that He wants His followers to be His witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Jesus is saying He wants everybody on earth to hear about Him and the love that God has for them, and that that's going to happen through Jesus' followers. Now, the truth is, no one person can fulfill this Acts 1-8 mission. No one church family or even group or denomination of churches can complete, can fulfill this Acts 1-8 mission. But we can all play a part in it. We can all help at least one more person know God and experience God's love. At Lake Forest, we regularly talk about having a one more person in your life. In other words, we don't want your spiritual growth to only benefit you. Certainly, we want your spiritual growth to benefit you, but we also want it to benefit other people as well. So who is that one more person that you hope will benefit, who trusts you as their spiritual guide? Having a one more person in your life lines you up, lines your life up with the very mission of God. As you help at least one more person know about God, as you help at least one person experience God's love, your life is right smack in the middle of the purposes of God, of the mission of God. You're living like you were made to live. So that when you help your kids grow closer to God, when you help your parents grow closer to God, when you help your neighbor grow closer to God, when you help a co-worker grow closer to God, when you help a, a spouse grow closer to God, when you help your professor or your student grow closer to God, when you help one more person grow closer to God, your life is lining up with the very purpose, the very mission of God. But how does all that relate to the Holy Spirit, you might ask? Isn't this a sermon about the Holy Spirit? Yes, indeed. Here's how it relates. It is God the Holy Spirit that powers Jesus' Acts 1-8 mission. God the Holy Spirit is powering, is driving forward the mission that Jesus laid out in Acts 1-8. And it doesn't matter where the portables are put, the mission is going to continue. It doesn't matter if you or I get on board with the mission, the mission is going to continue. The Holy Spirit fuels, powers, propels forward the mission that Jesus laid out. And sometimes He does it in very supernatural ways. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Sometimes the Spirit does it in very ordinary and understandable ways. But it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's propelling forward the mission of Jesus. So that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have committed yourself to Jesus, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit into your life. If you follow Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you can see more and more how the Spirit is drawing you closer to God and how the Spirit is empowering you to help draw other people closer to God. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're just here sort of exploring the Christian faith, I hope that understanding God the Holy Spirit more is helpful to you. 
Because you will have this experience where you will meet a follower of Christ and you will think that person is different. And in fact, good, different in a good way, in a refreshing way. I will be the first to admit that there are some people who follow Jesus and they are simply different. Not necessarily different in a refreshing way, just different. And yet you will meet these folks who follow Jesus, and they are different, and they are different in a refreshing way. And that's the work of God the Holy Spirit. That's the way that God the Holy Spirit is molding them and shaping them and making them refreshing like water to a a thirsty soul. So what I want to do is list out four things that the Holy Spirit does, four impacts that the Holy Spirit has in our lives and then I'll be done. Number one, number one, number, 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 number one, the Holy Spirit reveals God's grace and truth to people. The Holy Spirit reveals God's grace and truth to people. The Scripture says that left to our own devices, we'll just kind of wander around in the dark looking for truth, and this is where the Spirit comes in. The Spirit makes sure that there is some truth, some grace for us to find. 2 Peter 1.21 says, for prophecy, and this means prophecy in the Bible, prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophets who wrote in the Bible, in fact, everyone who wrote in the Bible were human. They were human. Nobody debates this. Nobody thinks that the Bible just fell out of heaven over here on the sidewalk and the setup team came and brought it and put it in your chair. Nobody thinks that. So the writers were human. And yet the Scripture says they wrote in such a way, though they were human, they wrote in such a way that the Holy Spirit arrested their writing. So that they didn't just write their own thoughts or opinions, they actually wrote out the very Word of God. The fancy term for this is the inspiration of Scripture, that the Bible is inspired, meaning that the Bible is God's Word. The Bible contains and is what God wants us uh, to know about Him and know about ourselves and know how they relate. And it was written down by humans, but the Scripture points out that it was written by humans that were carried along by the Holy Spirit, such that they spoke from God. So, in other words, while you and I might be wandering around in spiritual darkness, the Holy Spirit is making sure there is grace and truth for us to find in the Bible. But not only is He putting the grace and truth there for us to find, He actually helps us find it. The fancy term for this is the illumination of the Bible, that the Spirit illuminates the Bible and helps us find the grace and truth. So that if you have ever, uh, or your one more person has ever been changed by reading the Bible, or changed by being taught the Bible, or changed by listening to the Bible on tape, or whatever, there's not tapes anymore, but uh, Bible on CD, they don't even have CDs, do they? But whatever it is, you're in the car and you're listening to the Bible. If that has ever been transformative to you, if that has ever changed something in you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only that the grace and truth was there to begin with, but that He opened your heart and mind to receive it, to find it, to see it. That's what the Spirit does. Number two, the Holy Spirit comforts us in our weakness. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 14 as being a comforter. Now, when you hear the word comforter, what comes to your mind? You you think of a big old blanket that you can wrap yourself up in. That's actually a pretty decent analogy. 
that in our weakness that God the Holy Spirit is our comforter, that He surrounds us and holds us and comforts us in our time of weakness. Romans 8.26 says that in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I taught about this last week, that when your spirit is too faint, too fatigued, too frustrated to even know what to pray for, that in those moments the Holy Spirit wraps you up and prays for you. And based on the feedback I received, a lot of us are there or have been there. If you've never been there, you will be one day. Following Jesus is wonderful, but it does not exempt any of us from the hard times in life. And so when you don't know what to pray for, we are invited to rest in God. That moment where we don't try harder, we rest. We rest in God. We let the Holy Spirit pray for us. And we receive the deep comfort of God, not by what we have done, but by allowing Jesus to send the Spirit into our lives and for the Spirit to be our comforter in a time of need. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives people gifts so that they might serve others. This is what Holly taught on earlier in the series, that when, the, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into your life, and the Holy Spirit brings a housewarming gift so that each Christian has some, at least one, Spirit-given gift in their life. And it can be something totally new that you didn't have before. It could be an amplification or a twist on a gift that you already had. But the Spirit puts some kind of gift in your life. I listed some biblical passages that have a non-exhaustive list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I will read them to you. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4 non-exhaustive list, but some of the gifts that God the Holy Spirit gives. So that if you are a Christian, or if you ever become a Christian, you are some combination of gifts that God knit into you and gifts that the Holy Spirit gave you when you put your faith in Christ. And the primary purpose of those gifts is that you might join in the mission that Jesus outlined in Acts 1.8. Now, you can also use those gifts to make a living. You can also use those gifts to have hobbies. You can use those gifts for any sort of things, but their primary purpose is that you would join in the mission that Jesus outlined in Acts 1.8. And that begins to get me to my fourth point, which is you would say, okay, I've got these gifts, but you're saying the primary purpose is that I would use them for something bigger than myself. I would use them to be about God's work. I would, I would use them to love my neighbor. So something in me is going to have to change a little bit if I'm not just going to use these gifts for my own sake. And that starts to get us to point number four. When I was in seminary, I was part of a church plant that ultimately did not make it. It folded. This should give you unbelievable confidence in being a part of this church. So after the church plant folded, I went and became part of a Pentecostal church. Don't know if you know much about Pentecostal churches, but they are churches within the Christian family tree that most emphasize the work of God the Holy Spirit, and typically the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. And so one day the minister was preaching, and I always remember this, 
Uh, he, I've got to put this down. He's a little more animated than I am. Uh, and he said, the primary work, he'd get real excited and do his hands up like this, the primary work of God the Holy Spirit is not to make you collapse on the floor. And I should just add, sometimes he'd get really excited and he would clap his hands and jump at the same time. But it was never clear his feet left the ground. It was like this explosion of energy. Okay. So he said, the primary work of God the Holy Spirit is not to make you collapse on the floor, though you might. <laughs> he said, the primary work of God the Holy Spirit is to make you more like Jesus. Always remember that, because th this is the branch of the Christian family tree that, that spends the most time studying and learning about God the Holy Spirit, and especially the supernatural things that God the Holy Spirit can do. And yet this minister said, and it, it is correct, that what God, this is what the Bible says, the primary work of God the Holy Spirit is to make you and me more like Jesus. And then, in fact, that's the most miraculous thing that could ever happen in this world. Got to pick my notes up again. Got to work on being more animated. Y'all were with me there for a minute. That was good. That was good. Jesus says that we will be His witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Witnesses, His representatives, His ambassadors in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our businesses, at the homeless shelter, on vacation, in the neighborhood. We will be Jesus' witnesses, Jesus' representatives, Jesus' ambassadors. What does that mean? Jesus is not asking you to stop being you, but He is saying that you and I need to become a little more like Him so that we can be His representatives, be His ambassadors, be His witnesses. And so God the Holy Spirit wants to transform you, wants to transform me, and make us more like Jesus. So that you and I would start to see bursts of Jesus in our life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Bursts of Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm not even close anymore. But every once in a while, my life could offer a burst of Jesus to somebody who needs it. The Scripture says it this way, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are some of the bursts of Jesus that you start to see in your life thanks to the transforming work of God the Holy Spirit. Your life will get interrupted by a burst of love. You will be overwhelmed by a burst of joy. You'll be overcome by a burst of peace. When there is an annoying person who is on your last nerve, there will come this burst of Jesus, patience. When you're dealing with a very rancorous person, a burst of Jesus, gentleness. When you're in a situation where you could take the low road, a burst of Jesus, goodness. When you're in a situation where, where it would be very easy to do the wrong thing, a burst of Jesus, self-control. Or in a situation where you really don't want to do the right thing, a burst of Jesus, faithfulness. When the tone is up here, is up here, is up here, a burst of Jesus, gentleness. God invites us to be transformed. God invites us to become more and more like Jesus and to join into His Acts 1-8 mission. 
This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit propels forward the mission of Jesus. And some of the ways He does it are by revealing God's grace and truth to people, by comforting us when we are weak, by giving us gifts that we might serve others, but ultimately He powers it forward by making you and me more like Jesus. The Spirit wants to help you draw closer to God. The Spirit wants to empower you to help others draw closer to God. We live in a Spirit-bathed world. The Spirit is so active in this world. The Holy Spirit is so active in our lives. Sometimes we can miss it for the same reason that if you were to ask a fish, how's the water? The fish would say, what's water? It's the world in which the fish lives. The fish doesn't know any better. The more I study it, the more I become convinced that we live in a world that is so bathed in the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit is so active and doing so many things that often, we, like a fish in water, we just forget He's there. Because it's so obvious. And I hope that's where we can get at the end of this series, to realize the Spirit, Holy Spirit is doing amazing things in your life, He's doing amazing things in my life, amazing things in our community, in our world. And that we can start to see it and name it and be thankful for it. This is the work that the Spirit does. So, here's my question that I ask you to reflect on as I close. Based on what you now know about God, the Holy Spirit, where have you seen Him at work in your life? And what would be your prayer today for yourself or for your one more person in light of what the Holy Spirit can do? The Spirit powers forward the mission of Jesus. The Spirit reveals God's grace and truth to people. The Spirit comforts us in our weakness. The Spirit gives us gifts to serve others. Ultimately, the Spirit makes us more like Jesus. The Spirit can do the supernatural. The Spirit can do the very natural. And there is no greater purpose in this world than to take your life and to line it up with God's mission. Now, having said that, I want to conclude our service today by reminding us that God's mission does not start at purpose. God's mission starts at forgiveness. There is wonderful purpose that Christ gives to us, but the first thing that Christ offers us, the starting place, is that He offers us forgiveness. That through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, any person can be forgiven by God. That through the broken body, the shed blood, the sacrificial love of Jesus, you and I can be reconciled to God. We can walk back into the open arms of our Creator. And so with that, I want to invite us into a time of extended prayer and reflection and for Christians' communion. So if you are a Christian, no matter what branch of the Christian family tree you fell out of, I would encourage you today to come and receive. There are six stations around the room where you can do that. The four corners and two in the middle, they are all the same except for two, and that corner is the gluten-free station, and that corner is the kneeling station. At any station, you could come, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it there. If you have very recently become a Christian, or today you would like to become a Christian, I would encourage you to come and receive as your way of publicly showing that you have decided to follow Jesus. You are putting His purpose, His work at the center of your life instead of your own purpose, your own work at the center of your life.
The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. In this quiet moment, I just want to give you a chance to talk with God about whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. Maybe for you it's a deep thankfulness of the work that God the Holy Spirit has done and is doing in your life. Maybe for you it's the realization that your life is not lining up with God's purposes and that that's part of the reason it just feels like you're stuck. Or maybe for you, it's, it's the realization that you, you don't start with purpose, you start with forgiveness. And in a true moment of vulnerability, you would turn yourself away from the way you have been and turn yourself towards Christ and say, I'm ready to follow you. Just talk to God. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for the ways that you are a comfort to those of us who feel very weak right now. And Lord, some of us in a moment of true change desire to leave behind the way we've been living so that we might live life your way and can do so with a prayer as simple as saying, Jesus, I commit what I know and understand of me to what I know and understand of you, and I'll do that for the rest of my life. Those of us who come and receive this morning do so knowing that there is enough 
forgiveness in Jesus' shed blood to cover all our shortcomings, and enough life in Jesus' broken body to give us life now and forever. In this reflective spirit, let's continue in our time of prayer and reflection and communion.